I read the story of an old Scottish woman who would travel across the countryside selling threads and buttons and shoestrings. And whenever this woman would come to a crossroads, had to determine a direction, she would take a stick and throw it up in the air. And whichever direction the stick was pointing when it landed was the direction she would go. That was her decision-making method. One day, someone noticed she was standing at a crossroads and kept throwing the stick up over and over again. And someone walked up to her and said, Why do you toss the stick up more than once? And here was her answer. Because it keeps pointing to the left, and I want to go right. That's how a lot of us face crossroads. We come to a a major decision point in our life, and we think, well, maybe this is what God wants me to do, the direction God wants me to go, but I want to go the other way. And many of us, at those crossroad moments, instead of pursuing the will of God, find ourselves running from the will of God. And by essence, running from God Himself. I want to talk to you about those crossroad moments in your life. The title of my sermon this morning is Your Joppa Moment. Your Joppa Moment. I want you to turn with me to two different places in the Word of God. The first is the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. So turn there with me. And when you find your place there, hold it and then turn to Acts chapter 10. Jonah chapter 1, Acts chapter 10. I want to show you the significance of a city named Joppa. Jonah chapter 1, Acts chapter 10. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Next service we're going to honor and recognize some graduates here in the life of our church. And I wanted today to speak specifically to those graduates and to our young people and those that may have graduated in the recent past. And I wanted, by extension, to speak to the rest of our church. And I want us to think about these these crossroad moments because we all face them. Look what it says in Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to where? Joppa. And found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now look with me in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Actually back up to verse 43 of... Chapter 9, speaking here of Peter, it says he stayed in, what's that city? Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who 
feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to, there it is again, Joppa, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate." And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Look what it says in verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And we pause in this moment to pray because we understand how much we need you. We understand that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So Lord, I ask you today to meet with us. Would you by your Spirit open the eyes of our hearts, help us to see the timeless truths of Scripture and help us to consider how they apply to our lives and give us the the wherewithal to obey and to put into practice what we learn. Lord, I ask you to challenge us. I ask you to encourage us. I ask you to equip us to follow Jesus for us all for his glory. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Joppa, that city we just saw mentioned in two different passages, Joppa represents a place of decision. You see, in Joppa, in the book of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet Jonah clearly understood God's command. God said, arise, go to Nineveh, and preach against their wickedness. But Jonah decided to turn and go the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. But to get to Tarshish, he had to find a boat in Joppa. So he hears the command of the Lord, he knows the will of the Lord, go to Nineveh, but at Joppa, 
Jonah ran from God. He clearly understood God's command and he ran from God. But there's a very different story told in the book of Acts. Simon Peter has this vision that is a way for God to say, I am extending my grace to the Gentiles. The Jews call the Gentiles unclean, but I am extending my grace to them. And he shows Peter this in this vision. And as Peter's pondering the vision of the animals on the sheet, all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and some men saying, listen, our, our, our master Cornelius, a Gentile, wants you to come to him. The Lord says, they're from me. I, I'm the one sending you to Cornelius. And so what does Peter do at Joppa? Peter invites them in. They spend the night. The next day he goes with them to Cornelius. So Peter clearly understood God's command and he obeyed God. Joppa represents a place of decision. Jonah knew God's will, knew it clearly and ran from God. Peter knew God's will, knew it clearly and obeyed God. And I want you to understand this morning that all of us will face Joppas. Places of decision where we have to decide if we're going to follow God and His will and His way or if we're going to run from God and His will and His way. The reason I want to speak to our our graduates and our recent graduates and our young people today is because in the next few years, you are going to face many critical joppas, many crucial crossroads, places of decision where you have to determine which direction you are going to go. And I want to encourage you, when you come to those joppas, that you be like Peter, that you follow God, that you follow God's will, that you follow God's command, and not like Jonah, who ran from God. Now, if that's going to be the case in your life, if you're going to be like Peter and follow God's will, obey God, there are three three decisions you're going to have to make. Three decisions you're going to have to make. And these three decisions will help you at your crossroad moments, will help you at your Joppa moments. If you look there in your notes, I want to just walk you through these three questions, these three decisions that you are going to have to make. Number one is this. Do you want to know God's will? Do you want to know God's will? You'd be surprised. A lot of folks don't even want to know what God has to say. They don't want to be confronted with that truth. They want to make their own decisions. They want the stick to point to the right, even though God may be pointing to the left. And so they don't want to know God's will. So the first question you have to make about your Joppa moments is this. Do you want to know God's will? Do you really want to know God's direction for your life? Do you really want to know what God has to say? Do you want to know his will? Now I want to give you two, two major ways the that we think about the will of God. This is not exhaustive. There are different ways we think about the will of God, but two two ways to think about the will of God this morning. The first is what scholars call the moral will of God. The moral will of God. By the moral will of God, I mean God's revealed commands in the Bible that teach how people ought to believe and 
live. Let, let me give you a couple of examples. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. You're there in Acts. You just keep on to the next book, Romans. Romans chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says in verse 17. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Paul writes, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is is excellent because you are instructed from the law. So knowing God's will here is, is a parallel statement with being instructed from the law. So he's saying here, you know God's will in certain matters because God has told you in his law what he expects. He's given you commandments. And so you know God's moral will because God says, don't do this or do this. So you know God's moral will, what God expects of your life. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to seek wise guidance because God has already spoken on on particular matters in his law. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to show you this phrase, the will of God, applied to the moral will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now watch this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, specifically that you abstain from sexual immorality. So listen, you don't have to pray about whether God wants you to be sexually immoral. God has told you it's his will that you live in holiness, That you do not engage in sexual immorality. God is clear on that. That's that's God's moral will. That is his expectation for your life. So God has clearly revealed his expectations for you in that area. That's the moral will of God. God's revealed commands in the Bible that teach you how to to believe and how to live. Look what it says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see that? This is God's will, that you give thanks all the time, that you pray all the time, that you give thanks all the time. That's God's will for your life. That's how he wants you to live. That's his revealed moral will for you and for me. So that's one way to think about the will of God. The moral will of God, what God has clearly told us to do in his word. And by the way, that covers most of the decisions in life. More on that a little bit later. But there's a second way that we think of the will of God, and this is the way you're probably more interested in. The the second way we think of the will of God is the individual will of God. The individual will of God. By this, I mean God's ideal, detailed life plan uniquely designed for each person. God's ideal, detailed life plan uniquely designed for each person. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will, he will direct your paths or literally make your paths straight. Colossians 1.9 speaks of 
of growing in our discernment of God's will. And so this speaks of the, the individual will of God. And here's what I want you to understand, particularly if you are a young person today. The next 10 years of your life is going to be consumed with making individual will decisions. Decisions like this. What will I major in? Or where will I go to school? Or where am I going to work? Or what will my career be? Or where will I live? Or who will I marry? Or who are my companions going to be? And on and on and on and on, you are going to be faced with crossroad after crossroad, joppa after joppa, where you are going to have to make decisions about God's individual will for your life. Now, here's what I want you to understand. There are many different views on how to discover the will of God for your life. And I don't have time to get into all those different views this morning, but here's what I know. You ready? Here's some certainty we can have this morning. You should not expect God to show you his individual will for your life if you are largely ignoring his moral will for your life. Let me say it again. You should not expect God to show you, to reveal to you, his individual will for your life if you are not following and pursuing his moral will for your life. In other words, if you're ignoring the word of God, and then you go to God and say, who should I marry? You can expect silence from heaven. Why would God want to give you individual direction if you're ignoring all his other direction in the word of God? So, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into how you discern God's individual will for your life. There are different books you can buy on that and, and different things you can look at and, and different sermons you can listen to. But here's what I know. If you ignore the moral will of God, don't expect guidance when it comes to the individual particular will of God for your life. You see, you will come to know his particular will as you love him by obeying his moral will. Don't miss that, it's in your notes. You will come to know his particular will as you love him by obeying his moral will. For example, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, all about the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, God, your moral will, your revealed will in the, in the word of God is the primary means of discerning where I'm to go. It lights up my path. It's a light unto my feet. And then over in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. I don't think that means that he will give you whatever you want. I think it means that if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, if you're taking his word seriously, loving him, obeying him, then he will guide you through your passions, your desires. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said this, Listen, love God and do what you want. 
See, that's, a, that's kind of a provocative statement. Love God, do what you want. And here was this point. If you love God, you're going to want to do the right stuff. But, but if God's not your priority, if his word's not your priority, if he's not on your radar screen, you cannot trust your wicked, deceitful heart. Over in Proverbs, I love this uh, verse. Proverbs chapter 4. Turn with me very quickly. Proverbs 4, verse 18. Proverbs 4, verse 18. But the path of the righteous. Everybody say righteous. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. In other words, if you are living a righteous life, if your priorities are correct, you can expect that God will give you enough light for the next step on the path. But if you're not righteous, if you're not pursuing God, if you're not taking his word seriously, you can expect to stumble around in the dark. You should never presume upon God that he will show you the direction you ought to take when you've ignored so much direction in the word of God. So you say, wait, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I discern where I need to go when I come to those Joppa moments, those crossword, uh, crossroad moments? Listen. I love this quote from Chuck Swindoll. He writes, The better you get to know the word of God, the less confusing is the will of God. Those who struggle the least with the will of God are those who know the word of God best. So so the best step for you to take, if you want to know God's will for your life, if you want to live in obedience to him and follow him, is that you saturate yourself with scripture. But here's the sad reality. Statistics show that between 50 and 80% of kids that grow up in the life of church graduate, they go into college or enter their career, and they leave the things of God behind. They, they close their Bibles and put them on a shelf, and they, they disconnect from church, but then they come to these Joppa moments, and they're making these huge decisions, career, major Friends, spouse, where I will live, all huge decisions without God's guidance in their life. Without the precepts and principles and wisdom of the Word of God guiding their thoughts and guiding their heart. And listen to me, that is dangerous. Dangerous. So I want to encourage you, as you face these Joppa moments in your life, Don't put your Bible and your Lord on the shelf. This is not a time to to run away from Jesus and live it up. This is a time for you to run to Jesus and take him and his word seriously. I was an intern with Campus Crusade for Christ living in Orlando, Florida the summer before my last semester in college and, and... I had a, a friend that was sort of my mentor at that internship, and he came to me one day and said, Wade, why don't, we, why don't we fast and pray for three days? I never fasted before in my life. And I said, okay. And so we went and bought a bunch of chewing gum, because you need chewing gum when you're fasting. And we, we just stopped eating. We, we started to, 
we started to just drink drink uh, water and chew, chew gum, and we didn't eat for, for three days. It was rough. And he said to me, wait, you know, while we're fasting and, you know, seeking God, we ought to, we ought to pray about something specific. I said, I, I'm going to pray about my future wife. This is the time. I want to I wanna pray about that, that God will bring that person. I want to know who that person is. I, you know, I, I, and I began to pray specifically about my future wife. One day, I, at lunchtime, instead of eating, I was reading my Bible, one of the purposes of fasting. And, and I was reading Proverbs 31 because if you want a wife, you want a Proverbs 31 wife. Amen? And I was reading Proverbs 31 and praying through that. And I read this verse. And have you ever been reading your Bible and a verse just leaps off the page? I was reading that passage, and there's a, a verse in there about the husband of the excellent wife. It says, he is known in the gates. In other words, he's a respected leader. A man of integrity, a man of righteousness. And it, it was as if God said in that moment, Wade, you're praying about particular will issues. If you will pursue me and be the man of God that I'm calling you to be, I'll take care of that. That was an eye-opening moment for me. And so it helped me to really begin to pursue the Lord and evaluate my own priorities. And, and shortly thereafter, guess who came into my life again? Long story. Claire. Claire. And, and, and just a few months later, we were engaged. And uh, a year later, we were married. And it's been awesome. But God spoke to me in those moments through his word. And he was saying, instead of Focusing on this particular will issue, you need to take my moral will seriously. And so, here's, here's the question. Question number one. Do you want to know God's will? Do you want to know God's will? Number two. As you think about crossroads and Joppa moments, will you obey God? When God shows you what he wants for your life, through his moral will, through his revealed will, when he shows you what he wants, will you obey him? You see, when God directs you through his word, his wisdom, or his spirit, we need to be ready and willing to obey immediately. And the illustrations are right there in the Bible. Jonah heard the word of God, go to Nineveh, cry against their wickedness, and what did Jonah do? He ran the opposite direction. He fled from God and his will. Peter heard the, the, the message from God about the, about the Gentiles and, 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 and things he, or people he considered unclean. And, he, and when he heard this opportunity to go and preach to Cornelius, he knew God was in this. God told him he was in this. And Peter obeyed immediately. So when God directs you through his word, through wisdom, through his indwelling spirit, we need to be ready and willing to obey. What's that last word? What's the last word? Immediately. Because listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. Did you hear that? Delayed obedience is disobedience. We've got to be willing to obey immediately. Now listen, I want, you, I want to give you all the facts this morning. Running from God in disobedience has consequences. Think about Jonah. He gets on the ship, goes to the bottom of the ship, as if God 
Doesn't know where he's at. <laughs> God sends a great storm. The, 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 the sailors are about to perish. The boat is about to sink. And Jonah knows it's all about him. God's getting his attention. And Jonah tells him, it's, hey, this is, this, is, it's, this is my deal. And so the, the sailors throw him overboard into the water. Immediately God appointed a great fish to swallow him up. He was in the belly of that fish for three days, three nights. Why? Why the storm? Why the fish? Because there are consequences for disobedience. And it looks different in everyone's life, but here's what I know for sure. If you run from God, there are going to be devastating consequences for that decision. Devastating. And I, and I tell you that because I love you. And, and, I, and I want you to come to those Joppa moments and follow God, not run from God. But, listen, here's the flip side, here's the good news. The best way to enjoy life and engage the world is obedience. Look what it says over in John 15. These are the words of Jesus. John chapter 15. This is what Jesus says. He's sharing in this chapter the parable of the, the vine and the vine dresser. And look what Jesus says in John 15 verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's moral will. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the fathers love me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now watch this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Do you get that connection there? Jesus said, if you abide in my love, by keeping my commandments, you will experience a fullness of joy. Now the world's going to lie to you. And the world's going to say that God's trying to take away all your fun. And he's trying to take away all your freedom. And it's time for you to do what you want to do and let the world revolve around you for a little while and you need to just live it up. Pursue your pleasure. Pursue your plan. Do your thing because it's all about you. That's the lie of the world. The Bible says joy comes when you take God's commandments seriously. If you want to be joyful, if you want to experience happiness and peace in your life, if you want to live life to the fullest and make a difference in this world, you will do it by abiding in the love of Christ, by doing what he says. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't believe the diabolic lies of this world and the lies of Satan that wants to destroy you and deceive you into thinking that you will find pleasure and happiness if you do your own thing. Apart from the Word of God, apart from the people of God, apart from the will of God. The best way to enjoy life and engage the world is through obedience. 
people that obey God will experience a fulfillment that only comes from closeness and intimacy with God. And people that make a difference in the world are people that radically obey God. I I think about Joshua chapter 1, when the Lord tells Joshua, just do what I tell you to do. Keep my word. And then he said, I want you to go and march around Jericho. That didn't make sense. But as Joshua led the Israelites to obey God's commandments, God caused the walls to fall down. The best way to make a difference, the best way to have a victorious life is to do what God says. It's funny how songs you hear at an early age stick with you. I remember growing up at Burton Baptist Church. My dad's here with me this morning visiting us. and He's in town from Florida. And Growing up at Burton Baptist Church, we sang a song that says... Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And I don't want anyone in this room to get to the end of their life and thought and think, I missed it. I wasted my life because I did it my way, to quote Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. And you missed true life, true joy, true happiness, true impact that comes from doing what Jesus says. So here's the question. Do you want to know God's will? The second question is, will you obey God? When God directs you, when God instructs you, will the answer be yes? Is your yes on the table? But there's a third question I want to ask you. And this is important because of the the Joel Osteens out there that lead people astray. The third question is this. Will you obey God even if it's difficult? I, I want you to hear me carefully. When you pursue God's will for your life, it may not get easier. It may, and very often does, get harder. You see, obedience brings blessing. There's no question. The the blessing of enjoying God in a closer way, the blessing of making the impact in the world, not wasting your life. Obedience brings blessing, but it also can bring hardship. Acts chapter 11. After Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius and his household and, and and. That Gentile family gets saved. And the Jewish Christian leaders hear this and say, Peter, why are you preaching to Gentiles? Why are you spending time hanging around with them? Don't you know they're unclean? And Peter gets some heat for obeying God. Isn't that interesting? Over in Acts chapter 20, look what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. This is Paul saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus, getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And look what Paul says about obeying God. Acts 20, verse 22. Paul says, Now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. I'm being led by the Spirit of God, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Paul's saying, I know God's will is to go 
and the Lord has told me through his spirit that when I go, I'm going to be imprisoned. (laughs) Clear example of obedience bringing hardship. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11 with me again very quickly. I want to include this verse because I read it in my quiet time this morning. And it's so relevant. Again, these are the words of Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, look what Paul writes about following Jesus. About obedience as a missionary. He says... Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. A night and a day adrift at sea? Say, wait, what was he doing? He was obeying Jesus. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul pursued God's will for his life. Paul obeyed Jesus. What did it get him? It got him hardship. But the impact that he made is still being felt today. Right? J.I. Packer writes, following God's guidance with loyal tenacity, I like that phrase, loyal tenacity will sooner or later lead us into troubles, sorrows, hurts that otherwise we might have avoided. (laughs) In other words, you can say no to God and avoid some hardship. Or you can say yes to God and walk into trouble. The question is, is it worth it to not waste your life? Or better yet, is Jesus worth your radical obedience? Even if it's difficult. The reason I tell you that, because these TV preachers say, well, if you obey God and you do the right thing and follow the right formula, man, you're going to get out of that Toyota Camry and get into a Mercedes Benz. And if you obey God, you're going to get out of that, you know, three-bedroom, two-bath house into a six-bedroom, five-bathroom mansion. Or whatever. Or, or that promotion is going to come through. Can I tell you this? Sometimes when you follow Jesus and take a stand from him, you may not get the promotion. You may get the demotion. But is Jesus worth it? And the crossroad question you have to answer, the the, the Joppa moment question you have to answer is, will I obey Jesus even if it's difficult? You see, God never promised us a trouble-free life. He promised us his presence through it all. Maybe that's why Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, as he tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that that, that he's commanded. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Remember, as you obey my great commission, it may get hard. It probably will get hard, but I will be with you. So here's the question. 
Would you rather have a safe, risk-free life and have a marginal relationship with God? Or would you rather follow Him no matter where He leads and experience the power of His presence? And so you've got three questions to, to answer. Do you want to know God's will? Will you obey God? And will you obey God even if it's difficult? When you come to your Joppa moment, will you look more like Jonah? Or like Peter? And really, this entire sermon, all these questions I've posed today, this entire sermon can be posed or can be summed up with one question. You want to hear it? Young people, parents, grandparents, everybody. Will you follow Jesus? Or will you keep throwing the stick up in the air? So you can go the way you want to go. You bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you today. How he's taken his word and applied it to your life. Perhaps you're here today. And you haven't made the most important decision of all. The the decision that determines your eternal destiny. The Bible teaches that everyone in this room, everyone in this earth will spend eternity in one of two places. That wonderful place called heaven in the presence of the Lord or that awful place called hell. Eternal separation and agony. And the Bible teaches us that where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus in this life. You see, Jesus loves you. We're all sinners separated from God. We all deserve his wrath and his punishment His justice against our sin. But Jesus loves us. And the Father sent Jesus to this earth. And Jesus took on human flesh. And he lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross for you and for me. The Bible teaches that he took all of our sin on himself. And then on the cross, he died in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. And after he died on that cross, he was buried. And early on Sunday morning, early on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And he is alive. And he is here. And he is mighty to save. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So you say, wait, I haven't made that decision to follow Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, as we stand and sing in a moment, we want to give you that opportunity to make that decision today. To receive that free gift of eternal life that the Lord offers only through His Son. So as we stand and sing, if you need to be saved, just come to the front and say, wait, I need Jesus. And we would love the privilege of sitting down with you with an open Bible and showing you from the Bible how you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ by repentance and faith. Won't you come? He loves you. And perhaps you're here and you know that you're saved, that eternal question has been answered, but you've got some 
some decisions to make, some questions to answer about the will of God, about obedience to God, about obedience to God even if it's difficult. And in the quietness of this moment, in the presence of our great God, can you say to him, I will follow Jesus. I will obey you in those Joppa moments in my life. Perhaps you're at a Joppa moment right now. You're at a crossroads right now. And you know what the Lord wants you to do. It's time for you to just follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.